Uh, let's see, I think last Sunday we sang a hymn that had the line, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on the solid rock is the name of the hymn. And I said, what does that mean? I dare not trust the sweetest frame. And everybody seemed to come out. Well, if you look in the in a dictionary, a, uh, and, and I looked this up in the uh, New Oxford Unabridged Dictionary, um, huge dictionary, uh, Samuel or Simon Winchester wrote a book called The Meaning of Everything, and it's the story of the Oxford English Dictionary. Uh, interesting, interesting book. Um, the reason why I mention that is you can access the entire Oxford English Dictionary probably through your library. I, I access, it through, access it through the King County Library, and uh, Tacoma has, uh, you know, associative, and most of the libraries are now are all joined together, and if you become a member of, um, anyway, you can get access to, uh, and you can look up the meaning historically of any word, and it, uh, it it's really interesting. I used to have a about eight or ten books on what the origin of all of these foreign phrases are and uh, Latin and French and German and everything and uh, don't need them anymore because uh, the dictionary, well, and just the internet has got all of the, the uh, so they can be retired and recycled or whatever. But anyway, the, the means, the first primary meaning means an advantage or benefit or profit. I dare not trust in or uh, I, I don't know how the sweetest frame. I dare not sweetest frame. I the sweetest benefit or the sweetest profit advantage. or sweetest advantage. Um, but holy lean on Jesus' name. So don't do it yourself. Don't Look to your own advantage or whatever. So, so there's that. Now, let me see a number of hands here. How many of you are glad the election mess is all over? <laughs> it was awful, wasn't it? It's not over. Well, I know it's not over, but the election itself is over. The, the, uh, you know what I mean. <laughs> Uh, the uh, but we're going to vote. Open your Bibles to chapter thirteen of Luke. Chapter thirteen. Now there is a lot of information in this chapter, and I told Jim this morning that we're not going to point out any. <laughs> deficiencies or shortcomings textually and make you uh, feel bad about maybe uh, your New Testament. There's so much here. Uh, this starts out first in um, well what, what we're going to do is we're going to read each one of these sections and then I want you to take a vote on um, if I can get over here to the right we're going to take a vote on um, whether you think this section in its tone or temper or uh, in, in its tone is positive, negative, or neutral. 
Okay, I'm going to read the first five verses. There were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all, all, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Okay, what do you think? Positive, negative, or neutral? How many of you would say this is this is a positive as a positive tone? A couple. Of, how many of you feel it's kind of negative? How many just are no opinion, neutral? <laughs> okay, so all we had was uh, we had two that felt that this was a positive uh, little episode here, and one that said it was neutral, and the rest of you are are asleep. <laughs> no. Well, uh, let's go to the next section. Maybe we'll... Uh, uh, he also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use, use up the ground? But he answered, and he said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well. But if not, after that, you can cut it down. Okay? How many of you say this is a positive story? One, two. How many of you feel it's uh, negative? A few more negative. How many neutral? One. <coughs> A few more have aroused. <laughs> okay. Uh, next one. Christ heals the crippled woman. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But then when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loose." From your infirmity. And he laid hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, There are six days on which men ought to work, therefore come and be healed on them, and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord answered him, and said, Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. And all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Okay, let's vote. How many of you think this is positive? Okay. How many of you think it's negative? There's a negative element in it, isn't there? How many of you think are... Anybody aroused and awake want to vote neutral? Okay. All right, the next one. Parable of the mustard seed. And then he said, What is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and put in his garden, and it grew and it became a large tree. And the birds of the air nested in its branches. How many of you think that's positive? How many negative? Okay. How many are neutral? Okay. 
parable of the leaven. And again he said, To what shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. How many think it's positive? Okay, negative. Okay. And uh, we go to the next one. The way into the kingdom. And he went through the cities and villages teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock, let's see, I lost my place here. And you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you, where you are from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence and taught in your streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you, where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out, they will come from east and west, from north and south, and sit down in the kingdom of God. And indeed there, and indeed there are last who will be first, and there are first who will be last. Let's vote. How many of you think that's positive? How many think it's negative? Okay. All right. Last section. On that very day, some Pharisees came and saying to him, Get out and depart from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go tell that fox. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And on the third day I shall be perfected. Nevertheless, I must journey today, tomorrow, and the day following. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I want to gather your children together. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, and assuredly I say to you, you shall not see me till the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Okay, let's vote. How many think it's positive? How many think it's negative? Okay, kind of divided. Well, overall, my sentiments are that this is kind of a negative chapter because the elements of negativity are in almost, uh, except for the two, <coughs> the two parables. <coughs> Could uh, somebody fetch me a... Uh, a cup of hot water. Thank you. Now, I need three people to to come and pass out these sheets here. Three of you. Take one of each and pass them out. Now, this, this will locate this chapter in relation to the life of our Lord. Now take, take a look at the um, the yellow one.
you notice that uh, well let, let's let's go over to the uh, this kind of uh, thanks day the four gospels in the life of Christ now take a look there and where is our chapter uh, in Luke? What what part of the? You see it where it's the what what part of the ministry? Greater Judean ministry. Greater Luke Judean ministry. So you come over to the yellow chart, and the latter Judean ministry is. Uh, number 8 on the yellow chart there. Actually, it's felt that chapter 13 uh, took place in Perea. So we could say that chapter 13 actually uh, <clears throat> could fit into the early part of the latter Perean ministry. So where are we in regard to the entire Ministry of Jesus. Are we on the upsurge? No. We're not on the climactic Galilean at the peak of his ministry. We're on the downturn. On the downturn. And uh, opposition is growing. Opposition is growing from leadership. And we see that in this chapter, don't we? Uh, what is, who, who is the opposer in this uh, chapter? The, the ruler of the synagogue, you know, and, and he he uh, he upbraids Jesus uh, for um, actually the uh, woman who was uh, had healed on the Sabbath. There are four occasions where Jesus uh, healed on the Sabbath and did things on the Sabbath where he was condemned and criticized for it. Uh, but let's let's get back to the beginning here, to uh, the uh, his teaching regarding repentance. Uh, there were present at the at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood had mingled with their sacrifices, and Jesus answered and said to them. Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will also likewise perish. Now, the first thing we should observe about this is who are those that perished? Who? Jews. Galileans, weren't they? And where where are they in relation to Jerusalem? North. north. Due north. And what's in between? Samaria. Samaria. So they're due north. Now, there was a time in the history of this country where we were divided between north and south. And how did the northerners view the southerners? Not well. There was, uh, I remember watching the uh, one of the uh, one of the uh, Civil War documentaries and one of the uh, one of the uh, northern boys said um, to a southern soldier, he said, why are you fighting us? And the southern guy says, well, because you're down here where we are. <laughs> so they were, uh, it just depended on where you were, but the, the north and the south. And similarly, believe it or not, those of the south who were of the area called what? 
Judea. The Judeans looked with scorn upon the Galileans. That's a, that's a map. Do you remember the statement? Can any good thing come out of what? Galilee. Can any good thing come out of Galilee? So uh, there was. Uh, so I don't. I, I'm not exactly sure, but this. It seems like to me, anyway, that they brought this. Uh, there may have been an ill-begotten motive as to why they brought this tale or this story of um, what happened to these Galileans. Now, Galilee was also the location a lot of a lot of of um, revolt and a lot of uh, troublemakers and people that were against uh, totally against uh, uh, Rome and uh, outlaws and rebels and uh, so it it did have a uh, it could be. Uh, that uh, maybe some of these that had come down to the south were part of some type of an insurrection movement or something. Uh, we don't know. There is no historical record that w that uh, refers to this incident. It, but however, it is not out of character with the way that Pilate was, because Pilate was a ruthless uh, ruler. And uh, he, uh, this, this is totally, in, uh, in fact, he was, uh, he was, uh, after his 10-year reign, he was, he was called back to Rome and dismissed because of his, uh, his, his hostile, uh, terrible conduct in relation to the Jews. He lost his position because of it. Um, and he, now, I want to point out one thing to you. And that is regard, if they don't repent, what does it say will happen to them? What does it say? What does the text say? Don't look at me. Look at the text. What? They'll perish. Now, what is the, what is the meaning of this word perish? Okay, eternal death. So is he going to say, unless you repent, you will also go to hell? Well, sometimes it means that. It means that in John 3.16. But there are other times when it just means to die physically. And um, we haven't got time to go into the difference. Uh, show you the different places where it means just to die physically. But I think that what he's pointing out here is that they will, if they don't repent of their attitude in regard to uh, their whole approach to the Messiah and the kingdom of God, similarly, they'll perish. Did they perish? Did the Jews perish? Some of them did. A million of them, over a million of them, Josephus tells us, perished when? 70 AD, or 67 to 70. Right. When uh, the Romans came and uh, just wiped them out. No mercy. Uh, and they did, they did perish. They did die. And he says, unless you repent, um, similarly... Uh, so I, I don't think he's talking about uh, now perish sometimes does mean eternal life I will tell you that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not what? That, that's the word here so sometimes it does mean eternal damnation and judgment but there are other occasions and I, I think here he's, he's just talking about them uh, that died so we've, we've got the northerners who they came and they brought this information to him that may be tinged with a little uh, little discrimination. Uh, 
he says, or, but then in verse 4, he talks about another group, of the, or those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Again, um, the word perish, the same word is used. Uh, Apollomy. Um, now here, he kind of turns the tables on him, and he talks about the Judeans, what took place. Now both of these incidents took place in Jerusalem, in verses 1 uh, through 3 and verses 4 through 6, but but the 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell, uh, we're not exactly sure historically what this is referring to, but in some of the works... Um, and this was one of the incidents that got uh, Pilate in trouble. He he had uh, uh, filtered some of the money, some of the tax money, and the trade, some of the money that went into the temple treasury. He had uh, directed that money to build an aqueduct into uh, Jerusalem. And uh, what it ha- what this may be referring to, and is felt by some that this is referring to is that uh, part of that aqueduct collapsed in the midst of the construction and there were Judeans that were killed in connection with it. Now, um, it's referred to here historically as something that that happened. Um, It's interesting to see how... uh, Many times people associate tragedy with, um, with um, what takes place. Um, what, one, um, do you remember 9-11, what took place and what the, the attitude and the reaction on the part of many people in the country was? was that people looked around and they were trying to adjust blame as to why this happened to us. And um, it, um, there were a lot of different ideas as to what transpired and what happened. And um, most of them were wrong. You know, most people looked at the moral climate and so forth. And, and it, it, it just uh, um, it was very vivid. I, I still remember, and it's just etched in my my memory. Those that uh, leaped out of the windows to avoid the fire that were on the floor just above where the planes had crashed. Uh, but uh, very few people. Um, really can um, I think really understand the uh, got a note here somewhere that I wanted to share with you Uh, many of the Jews in Jesus day believe that tragedy or accident was a direct result of some personal sin. Uh, We get that from um, John chapter 9 and uh, verses 1 through 3. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. For as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So there was that tendency even among the the Gentile, I mean even among his disciples that, um, that 
tragedy or accident is associated with with the result of some sin. Well, there's a man who was a is a White House reporter, and he has been a re- White House reporter, part part of the White House news team for years and years and years, all through the uh, previous president's administration, and he continues to this day. And he has followed very carefully the relationship of the tragedies that have overtaken our country and uh, the things that have um, happened. And... uh, the associated events that transpired in relation to the nation of Israel. And he has written an interesting book called Eye to Eye. Bill Koenig is his name, William Koenig, K-O-E-N-I-G. And if you were ever to pick that book up and read it, you would see... Um, how many of these events have been in connection with God uh, seemingly dealing with us in regard to the division of the land of Israel. It's an eye-opener, I'm telling you. I, uh, I, uh, I gave it to one person and they said, I never realized. I never realized. Um, those you, those who bless you, I will what? In Genesis twelve three, I will bless, and those who curse you, I will curse. So, our blame, our blame element nationally, is uh, certainly defective. It has been, and. Um, Reminds me of a, of a of a story about how our blame uh, mechanism can be uh, screwed up. John Killinger tells about the manager of a minor league baseball team who was so disgusted with his center fielder's performance that he ordered him to the dugout and he assumed the position himself. And the first ball that came into center field took a bad hop, and it hit the manager in the mouth. And the next one, it was a high fly ball, which he lost in the glare of the sun, and it bounced off his forehead. The third was a hard line drive that he charged with outstretched arms. Unfortunately, it flew between his hands and smacked him in the eye. (laughs) Furiously, he ran back to the dugout and grabbed the center fielder by the uniform and shouted, You idiot! You've got center field so messed up! that even I can't do a thing with it. <laughs> so, blame often takes a, an interesting form. I'm haunted by the uh, answer that was given in the garden. What have you done? The woman whom you gave me. <laughs> Adjusting blame in the wrong direction. So, but we're running out of time here. I'm sorry I spent so much time on just that part. Um, Let's look down here to, uh, let's look down here. Uh, Just just run through this uh, real quickly. Um, I would say... um, that a key idea of verses 1 through 5 is apply it to yourself. Apply it to yourself. Then we have the fig tree and the vineyard. That uh, vineyard, it, it's almost as though Jesus is is giving them um, a, a picture of um, him, him and his ministry. He ministered for three plus years and uh, then then there was a, he's referring to a, 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 a year here 
uh, that's left. And from this time until actually Acts 10, uh, that uh, it's about a year between his uh, crucifixion. And um, so the fig tree in the vineyard, verses 5 through 9. And then the healing of the crippled woman. Uh, I, I think one of the predominant ideas that comes here is that uh, this is a sign of Jesus' ability to affect change. And uh, in showing how the Sabbath was uh, misused. Remember what Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath? Certainly uh, it had deteriorated into that. And then we have um, the parable of the mustard seed. Um, I think this is a um, I think this is a parable showing us uh, positively uh, what is the kingdom like, the kingdom of God like. Um, it's like a mustard seed which a man took and put in his garden and it grew and became a large tree and the birds of the air nestled in its branches. Um, I think this is... Um, let me ask you this. Uh, the kingdom of God. I don't think this is referring to the universal kingdom of God. I think this is specifically referring to the kingdom of God as it is set up uh, when after the church has been removed after the church as an entity has been re removed by the rapture and uh, what what's left on earth after the uh, who's left on earth after the rapture after the rapture Jews and Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles. Pardon? Jews and Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles. And what characteristic do they have? Now part of the church. Yeah. Uh, during the during the tribulation. <clears throat> but right after the rapture takes place, what's what's left? Rebellious. Believers or unbelievers? Unbelievers. Just unbelievers. That's all that are there. So, but a great revival takes place. Millions and millions are saved during the Great Tribulation. And, um, and it's like the, this mustard seed which a man took and put in his garden. And it grew and it became a large tree. And the birds of the air nestled in its branches. Do you remember? I don't know if you remember it or not when we were in Daniel that um, the birds roosting in the branches are often a symbol for the nations of the earth. Remember over in, in Daniel chapter 4 and uh, verse 21. Let me see if I can pull that up here real quick. Uh, in, in recounting this to, this is... Uh, Verse 12, it says, "Its leaves were this great tree. This great tree, this tree grew and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens, and it could be seen to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were lovely. Its fruit abundant, and it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches. All flesh was fed from it." This is a description of. Um, Nebuchadnezzar and what he, what he, uh, what he, the kingdom that he had established, the, the nations were, were uh, blessed. Um, the birds of the nations were, um, uh, were similarly uh, birds roosting in the branches. Other places in Ezekiel refer to this as well, and uh, also in. Uh, 421 it says whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant in which food was for all under the 
which the beasts of the field dwell, and in whose branches the birds of the heaven had their home. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong, for your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens, and your dominion to the end of the earth. So it's referring to to the nations. Um, uh, We're just going to skip over the rest of this and come down to... um, I can get back to where we were. We're going to come down the way into the kingdom. And he went through the cities and villages, teaches in journeying toward Jerusalem. And one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? Now, when you come across the word saved in the Bible, you've got to ask yourself the question Is this past, present, Is this past, present, or future? Because there's past salvation, there's present salvation, and there's future salvation. There's past salvation, which is justification salvation. And there's current salvation, which all of us are partaking of, and that's sanctification salvation. And in the future, there's going to be glorification, salvation. So we have to ask ourselves here, what is this man questioning? Are there few who are saved? Well, how, do, how can we answer that? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow gate. Strive. What is that referring to? Is that... Is that uh, That's referring to a work, isn't it? Striving? It certainly is. It's a a very strong word. uh, Let me me give you the word in Greek. It's agonizomai. Or agonizomai. What English word do you think we get from it? Agony. 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 So it's it it means effort with agony. Have you ever? And the word is used with regard to those that are participating in games. Um, have you ever looked at some of the training regimens and 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 what the Olympic athletes go through? They, it's white knuckle. <laughs> it's white knuckle. And he is saying here, strive to enter through the narrow gate. Now, now, the great question about this whole section is, what in the world is this referring to? Well, uh, we haven't got time to go into it. I'm just going to pass out a sheet, and you can you can uh, look at it. Um, I'll pass this out to you in conclusion, and you can go home and look at it. And uh, and uh, I'm just going to leave you. Uh, I'm going to give you this this quote. It says, Lord does not directly answer their question. Instead, he says, the the important question for the believers is not how many are being saved from this coming national catastrophe now. To To which his response would be, that is God's concern, not yours. The right question is, how will those of you who are saved now live out your salvation. And uh, in this, um, just in this, on page one, I'm just going to read this in closing. 
uh, the bottom, uh, toward the bottom of, of this. Uh, those believers who did not choose the narrow way but live carnal, lawless lives will be shut out when they seek entrance into the messianic banquet. And, and he he goes he points out that he thinks that this incident is referring to this messianic banquet and the difference between the messianic banquet and the wedding supper of, uh, or the banquet of the Lamb. But let's move on. They will be led away from a position without force sent out away release. Their argument will be that they had come, had some degree of association with Jesus at his meetings and listened to his messages. Like some church members today, they will hear the sobering words. I do not know where you are from. That is to say, you may have been a neighbor, you may have been religious, but we never had fellowship. So in answer to the question, how many will be saved? We offer this interpretive paraphrase of our Lord's response. Don't worry about what will happen to others. Instead, focus on your own life and strive to enter by the the narrow gate and pursue the narrow way of discipleship that you might obtain a rich entrance into the Messianic banquet. That banquet's coming someday. And all believers will uh, either be there or be excluded from it. Your response to the call to discipleship involves eternal issues. Your participation in the final destiny of man in the coming kingdom. If you choose the broad way, you'll be excluded from your inheritance and reward in the great future. Only by choosing the narrow way throughout your life will you recline at a table with the great ones of Israel's history and thus find final salvation in the fullest sense. There will be some startling reversals then. Some who are first now will be last then. So we're called upon... Jesus says, strive. Strive. Do we agonize? Is it white-knuckled discipleship for us? Way back, way back yonder in the dim reaches of, I I can't remember when or who or how, but there was a speaker, and he, he talked about one of the great great heroes of the faith and uh, spoke of him and in conclusion he said about him he was a one thinger he was a one thinger he was one of those that was that strove to uh, have any of you dipped in at all into the book on the history uh, the history book that we passed out for you at Christmas time. Anybody? I, I, I've been I've been listening to the book. I I, I got an audio version of it, and um, I just read the the story of a man who virtually turned the Roman Catholic Church around in the Counter-Reformation. And um, he was a militant reformer, or anti-reformer. And um, he actually, at the time, nearly half of Northern Europe was, was, was Protestant. And through his efforts, it had shrunk back to a third of Northern Europe. Anybody know what his name was? Martin Luther. Pardon? Martin Luther. No, that was that was uh, on the Protestant side. Okay. This is a Roman Catholic. You ever heard of uh, Ignatius Loyola? Mm-hmm. You've heard of the School of Loyola. Ignatius Loyola was a um, he was a the Society of Jesuits was founded from him. 
But he was a militant, militant striver. He was he was one who uh, strove. But how, and you can read about it. That the chapter there's a chapter there uh, in in the history of that book that goes into detail how misguided he was. How misguided he was in so many ways. But he he had white knuckle conviction with regard to what he was doing. Wrong, misdirected. Our Lord gives us everything that we need in that regard. So let us strive to continue faithfully to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the goodness. I thank you for the goodness of the attention of this people as we've rambled on so many of these things here. And just ask and pray that you'll, you'll bless this passage to our, our good and our use. Knowing that someday we shall give an account for the deeds done in the body. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Will you sing? Well, thanks, Ken. So we'll close with a, a hopeful song from the book of Isaiah. Therefore, the redeemed of the Lord. Therefore, the redeemed of the Lord. with all grief and all mourning will flee away and Father we thank you for the hope that we have we continue to pray Lord that you would use us in these last days as we seek to follow you more closely and again we lift up Bob before you and pray you continue to strengthen his heart with your grace thank you for the fellowship this morning we um, would just simply ask God in closing that you would guide us lead us and direct us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. See you next week.